Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty here on a Thursday afternoon. I forget what day it is, the week after Labor Day. Uh, back in the studio with our friend Matt O'Dell. We were, we were uh, apart from each other last week. It's good to see your face again. Always good to be united. Reunited. <laughs> reunited and it feels so good. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, first, let's get to the price. According to the trade block XBX index, the price of Bitcoin at the current moment is $10,519.24. And I got to sign in to my computer here to get a block for my node for us. Signing in, signing in. That's 9,500 sats per dollar. Uh, By the way, you want me to get you a block? I can get you a block. Yeah, somebody get me a block here. You know what? I can just go to the Explorer The current block height is 593,411. 411. Okay. Getting closer to the halving around Memorial Day of next year. Yeah, Um, I really loved... uh, I love that quote from the bent today that you had. Oh, yeah. Slowly, Um, Slowly, surely, and somewhat silently. Uh, yeah, we hit all-time high hash rate. Actually, earlier today, I believe, at some point, higher than what I wrote about this morning. We'll get to that in the show notes in the show topics. But before we do that, we've got to give a shout-out to our sponsors. Uh, first off the bat, we got Cash App. You know all about them already. They're helping us stack sats. Use the code STACKINGSATS, one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $5, and $5 is going to go to Owls the Cross. Charity very near and dear to our hearts. And then you're going to be able to use the Cash App. You're going to be able to buy Bitcoin, sell Bitcoin, withdraw Bitcoin to a CoinJoin or to a personal wallet. And then you can also send <coughs> Bitcoin to the app as well and do with it what you want. Uh, and then on top of that, they have the incredible Boost program. I used it uh, yesterday at Whole Foods, saved 5%. Uh, you get a specialized debit card, except anywhere Visa is. And you can go to s- merchants that are teamed up with Cash to save some money. So, again, use the code STACKINGSATS. You're going to get $5. And that $5 is going to go to Alves Lacrosse. Visit your local app store if you haven't downloaded, downloaded it yet and you're listening to, sh- to this show in the States. What are you doing? What are you waiting for? Get on it. Uh, also got to give a shout-out to Unchained Capital, another sponsor of the pod. Their, their vault program, their 2 or 3 multi-sig, um, uh, allows you to create a multi-sig with Unchained, with different hardware wallets, whether it be a Trezor or Ledger, I'm pretty sure they're adding cold card support very soon. And then Unchained can be that second signature in a two of three setup if you ever want to move coins uh, off the vault. And then on top of that, you can take advantage of their loan program, um, which allows you to uh, use your Bitcoin to get U.S. dollar backed loans. Um, You basically use your Bitcoin as collateral and are able to get some liquidity so you don't have to sell your Bitcoin. Uh, so go to www.unchained-capital.com slash volts to check out their volts program. Again, that's www.unchained-capital.com slash volts. Uh, new sponsor here, Matt. Very happy to have these guys on. You and I recorded uh, an episode with their team when we were in San Francisco. Uh, this episode, Straight badasses. Straight badasses. This uh, episode is also brought to you by Bull Bitcoin for you Canadians out there who are listening, for you Canadian freaks are listening to this show on the regular bull, bull bitcoin is canada's only bitcoin maximalist brokerage some of the lowest fees in canada uh you can fund via <coughs> e-transfer wire flex a pin voucher it's non-custodial 
send directly to your Bitcoin wallet upon purchase. They never hold your coins. They're running Rasabi and they're coin joining in the background. Uh, that you can pay on top of this, you can pay nearly any Canadian bill with Bitcoin, whether it be your phone bill, internet utilities, uh, direct to bank account, and more. Uh, they'll never try to sell you any shit coins. Uh, you can find them at bullbitcoin.com. That's bullbitcoin.com. Uh, not in Canada, but are a fan of Bull Bitcoin, you can buy some of their swag at bitcoinoutlet.com uh, so you don't look like a pleb. And this is uh, a shout out to anybody who's going to the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga next week. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it. Find folks at Hoddle Hoddle are holding that conference. And uh, Bull Bitcoin has partnered with the Hoddle Hoddle team to create the official hat of the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. Uh, so if you go to bitcoinoutlet.com and you buy it, they're actually going to be able to pick it up at the conference as you go. So you can buy it before, pick it up. Again, that's bitcoinoutlet.com for the hat. And then uh, if you want to check out uh, Bull Bitcoin and their services, and you're in Canada, you Canadian freaks, go check them out at bullbitcoin.com uh, and then Bitcoin Outlet for the swag. Um, yeah. I actually, I get a I get a free one of those hats because I'm hosting a panel next week in Riga. So I'm super excited for the hat. Uh, your panel looks exciting. You want to talk about that a little bit? Are you excited to get, head to Riga? It's it's just interesting. It's, it's just, you know, the Stacking Sats guy is going to be hosting a panel with a bunch of traders. But uh, it should be a fun one. Yeah, so what's the what's the panel topic? I'll, I'll put their feet to the fire. It's how to It's how to not get wrecked in a bear market. Yeah. So it's clear. You stay humble and you stack sats since the end of the panel. Yeah, it's pretty short. I wonder what you guys are going to talk about after you just uh, pontificate that at the beginning. Of I'm going to put them on the spot with that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. I'll be watching live from here again. I'm, I'm, I had a lot of fun last year. Uh, unfortunately, not going to be able to make it this year. Well, I couldn't make it last year, so it's good. We've, we're flip-flopping. Flip-flop. Flip-flop. Anybody headed out there, have fun. It's a great time. Yeah, there's, there's still tickets available. You know, Marty said such good. So many people said such good things about the conference last year. One of the best conferences of the year. Um, yeah, so I'm super excited. The other thing is, if you are a Canadian freak, um, we'd really appreciate if you if you gave uh, Bull Bitcoin a shout out on Twitter. Just let them know you're listening because there's been some question about how many Canadian freaks we have out there, and I think there's I think there's a lot of you. Yeah, there. I think uh, Canadians are very strong VPN users. Yeah, they yeah they just have good opsec. They use the U.S. U.S. based VPNs. Yeah, um, yeah. Shout out to all of you Canadian freaks out there. Thank you for the support. Shout out to all you freaks out there. We love all of your support. Um, yeah, uh, big topic list this week. Let's just jump right into it. Something that we ended on last week. We were a bit unsure about the validity of the statement, and it has since been confirmed. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine confirmed it, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Portuguese citizens in particular have reached out to Matt and I uh, in our DMs and have confirmed that uh, Bitcoin is exempt currently from cap gains treatment, uh, capital gains tax in Portugal. We're moving TFTC. <sighs> Portugal's a beautiful country. I can go. I can go rip it. You there know? you go. Um, so anyway, that's huge, right? And that's and it's what we said even when we weren't sure uh, last week is that expect this to be more common you know uh, some of our portuguese listeners said that you know the government could go back on this rule you know or this ruling at any point but yeah of course any government can uh the key here is well, that that's i think that's actually an important uh caveat to make is i don't know if it was a ruling but the fact that there is no clarity just made it so this is what was described to me i don't want to dox him on the podcast so i don't want to say his handle but 
Portuguese listeners said to me that it's basically exempt because there's no clarity at this time. They just don't feel uh, comfortable like putting cap gains tax on something that doesn't have clarity. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like governments will start to try and court Bitcoiners and their businesses and, and just wealthy individuals in general. Um, they'll compete. They'll compete through their tax uh, legislation, how, how they handle how they handle these things. And also from it should be interesting to see if this has any effect on merchant adoption, because the one of the main reasons I would never, you know, a lot of the people in 2013, one of the narratives, the big narratives that we heard all the time was spend and replace. Go support your Bitcoin merchants. Spend and replace has horrible tax consequences. You know, that's the main thing that would stop me from spending and replace. I, I, you know, even just the mental headache of trying to keep track of all of that, trying to keep track of like your daily $2.25 coffee purchase or something is like that. That's such a pain in the ass. Who wants to do that? And I think that's one of the main limiting factors besides the fact that we all think the price is going to go up, but it's at least what stops spend and replace from happening. Yeah. So shout out to uh, our Portuguese listeners who are, who are able to take advantage of this uh, tax exemption and agree, yeah, spend and replace the mental cost and the that come with that are just asinine, especially if you're not tracking exactly when, where, uh, when and where you bought Bitcoin and what UTXOs you're using to spend. That's why it's also ridiculous, like all these ETH people who are like, you know, <laughs> leverage up your ETH with DAI and, and then put it in compound and lend it out and uniswap to this other thing and do that and do this like there's the tax liabilities and tax burden you have there is insane even staking the tax burden of staking if they ever actually implement it is it will be ridiculous like it'll be taxed at ordinary income so like if they had proof of stake when it was at fifteen hundred dollars and you didn't sell you have a bunch of income there that's priced at the time of the staking yeah and i think was it Ben Davenport who actually wrote a good piece on that? Uh, the tax implications of staking? I th- I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. I remember the piece. Yeah, we'll try to find that link. Um, yeah, I, th- I believe it was Ben Davenport. Yeah, he did it. He basically broke down the tax implications. Of, he was like, of the staking. government's going to own all your token at the end of the day. Right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's why people, when they say like, oh, but if, if everyone stakes, then it doesn't dilute you. But it does because it's tax burdensome instead of a deflationary currency, a deflationary asset like Bitcoin, where it's a it's it's tax positive. It handles the tax system well. Yeah, you don't have to put it at risk and accrue interest on it that is taxable. Right. You yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's not even interest. It's it's straight income, right? Yeah. Because yeah, it's it's actual income. It's like mining. It's like if you were to be mining. Um. Yeah, so so be aware if you're staking out there of the tax implications. Well, none of the ETH guys are staking yet, so oh, they're they're waiting for it though. That's going to be the driver of the monetary premia of uh, of ether. People locking it up in stake. Um. Next topic, we alluded to it in the beginning. Hash rate uh, on September third, so two days ago, it hit uh, an all time high at the time of eighty eight exahash. Uh, per second. I feel like we've been hitting all-time highs every week with hash rate for the last couple of well, months, we, right? Well, yeah, I actually alluded to it earlier. We hit, we hit uh, another all-time high. We had 100.2 exahash at some point earlier today. 
um, at about, I believe, 4 p.m. UTC, uh, according to <coughs> Statoshi.info, which is Jameson Lop's uh, site, which is tracking all this stuff in real time. And yeah, so that's what I wrote about it. at the beginning of the year, January 1st, I believe hash rate was around 42 exahash per second. And if you look at the chart of 2019 alone, the first eight months, it pretty much hovered in this range between mid-30s and low-50s for like the first six, seven months. And then over the summer, it's, it's gone up precipitously. So yeah, it's more than doubled since January 2019, and it hit uh, over 100 exahash earlier today, which is pretty crazy. It's probably a combination of new chips and the fact that the price went up. So, so miners that you know that had equipment that wasn't necessarily profitable at the lower price could be profitable again for a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. So that's another thing to take into consideration. I believe we have um, mentioned uh, mentioned this at the podcast at some point. Uh, but yeah, what's miner has come out with these new line of miners, and they just started releasing them to the market uh, at the end of last month end of august i was on asicminer.com earlier today looking at like the most profitable miners and the one they released early last month are like the number two most profitable and apparently there's even more powerful and efficient ones uh starting to hit the market as we speak as is tradition yes ever upwards yes so the the micro bt m20 series is uh, apparently the hottest chick on the mining block right yeah they gotta work on their naming that's one thing bitmain did really well you know, it was super easy. The S5, the S7, the S9. You knew exactly what you were getting. Yeah. What's the name of that one again? Yeah. Uh, so MicroBT is the company releasing it. They're with What's Miner, um, and it's their M20 series. The MicroBT M20, M20 series. Uh, that's not horrible. It's not terrible. Yeah. As long as they go up in numbers from here. Yeah. No, these guys apparently are collaborating with Samsung. So, uh, again, an incumbent telecom company getting into the mining chip game it looks like um yeah so be re- check hash rate it's been going up pretty fast and it, i'd be interested to see we started the year at 42 exahash per second we hit 100 today uh it'd be we're already basically grown 150 percent this year Let's see how much more we can grow the last quarter um quarter and a month that we have left here in 2019 rolling into 2020 and into the next halving Moon. <laughs> uh, so, did you see local bitcoins uh, strengthen their KYC requirements? I did. I did. And uh, actually, had a Venezuelan listener reach out and point out that uh, on local bitcoins last week, uh, volume denominated bolivars hit all time high, uh, which I had to point out is is not the best metric to look at. Like if you look at uh, the Bitcoin volumes if you look at the volume in bitcoin it's like half of what it was in the beginning of the year and then if you price adjust that for us dollars at the given given day uh volume wise i believe in january this year in venezuela local bitcoin's volume was i believe like 9.25 million dollars a day and uh, last week it was like 5.1 or something like that one two five yeah the best way to look at it is in usd yeah uh um, at least now yeah and i and i would imagine uh, the de- decreased USD volume is more because of the KYC than disinterest. That's what I would uh, surmise. Yeah, and you probably also, you have a lot of, you know, return buyers who don't go through the service, right? If I was, you know, you see that all the time with stuff like Airbnb. 
you stay at someone's house one time of the Airbnb, and then every time after that, you cut out the middleman. All right. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the exact uh, upgrades to their KYC policy? It seems that everything that's over $1,000, you need full KYC. Um, they're just locking it down. Uh, $1,000, 1,000 euros per year. Oh. So basically every, everything is KYC now. And, you know, this is a similar situation as we saw with Shapeshift, um, which Shapeshift has a completely different business model. They were to convert Bitcoin and shitcoins in between, go back and forth. Um, but the whole point of Shapeshift and the whole point of local Bitcoins, there are two main value props. Uh, the, two, the, the main value prop for both was the lack of KYC, that they were privacy-focused businesses. When Shapeshift implemented KYC, they killed their business. When local Bitcoins implements it, they're killing their business. But neither of them have a choice. That's the important thing here. They both got too big. They got a target on their back. And regulators went after them and made sure that they, that they have to do KYC. Yeah. And, um, yes, yeah, so just be aware. And well, what is the alternative to local Bitcoin? Right. Zero? So we uh, have uh, BISC, which is much more distributed. Um, they're trying to distribute it even further. Uh, and, and, you know, so with BISC, like you're basically running a node on your computer when you run the software. Um, there is still obviously centralized aspects to it, but they're trying to distribute it as much as possible, make it as resistant as possible. And then you have HODL HODL. Uh, which is like more, more similar to something like local bitcoins, where like you actually have like a website and they, there is centralized elements to it. They hold every. There's no custody, but the escrow is multi-sig. Uh, so it should be interesting to see if if they have to implement KYC at some point. But up until this point, they haven't had to. Uh, they technically don't allow U.S. users. So it should be it should be interesting to see how that that plays out. It might it might just it could just as easily be a you know hodl hodl is relatively new. I think they're a year two years now. Because uh, Riga is coming up, so they were like a little bit before the last yeah, Riga. So like two and a half years, I believe. Yeah, um, they've got a predictions market as well. Right, but it's it's smaller. It's much smaller than local bitcoins. Lo- local bitcoins was the juggernaut. So, you know, the question with these things always become like when you get too big, uh, that's usually when they're like, look at Binance, for instance. Binance starts implementing KYC once they got really big. Uh, nothing structurally with their business changed to, to mean that they had to implement KYC. It was just that they became such a target that uh, it was forced. This is why, you know, decentralization matters. This is why, yeah, why we Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think jurisdictionally, HODL HODL set up in Lafayette. I don't know. I think the... Uh the uh, Eastern European countries maybe uh maybe more so uh, local bitcoins is based in Finland, in Finland for whatever it's worth okay so it was the Finnish it was the Finnish uh authorities that pushed them to do it god damn it Finland so yeah you of course you have jurisdictional arbitrage which is beautiful right that's you know why Binance moved to Malta yeah oh and I was uh was brought to my attention I've been uh pronouncing the the Seychelles or I I just pronounced it wrong again um I've been pronouncing it wrong and I probably will continue to so I'm sorry about that how do we pronounce it right somebody somebody uh Seychelles let me let me find it I should probably get this right 
uh, for those of you freaks who don't know, we're trying to pronounce the the little island that Bitmex is domiciled in. Let me find it real quick. Sue me in the Seychelles is what he says. Seychelles? I don't know how to pronounce it. All the freaks. Well, there's probably a few freaks yelling into the headphones. I don't. Seychelles. 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 That's what you said, right? All right. I got it right the first time then. Shout so out, what were you saying before? Add, uh, Seychelles. Shout out to Ad Bridge at Bridge BTC for, for. Okay, so it's Seychelles. Seychelles. Take take me to court in the Seychelles is yeah. what he said. Arthur Hayes. Yeah, but so they have a similar issue, right? So they're doing jurisdictional arbitrage. You know, sometimes that doesn't last. Sometimes it does. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how these play out. But but try out BISC if you haven't. They have some liquidity issues. You know, not enough people use it, so orders take longer to process. But if you go in there, you place an order, then you can help improve the liquidity issues. Yes, liquidity is king. Um, we got to start somewhere. Yeah, so if you're using local Bitcoins and you're worried about KYC, be aware. They are uh, increasing their KYC rules. They've uh, already increased it. It's it's done. It happened. You're fucked. Um, next topic, a little bit more technical. This was brought to my attention via uh, the Bitcoin Optech newsletter from this week. Shout out to Bitcoin Optech. If you guys are looking to learn about uh, what's going on in Bitcoin development world uh, and Lightning as well, make sure you're you're subscribed to the Bitcoin Optech newsletter. It's a fucking treasure trove of information. Uh, and this week they highlighted a coin join scheme that Adam Gibson proposed on the Bitcoin mailing list called Snicker. Uh, and Snicker stands for great name, great name, incredible name. If you're hungry for privacy, grab a Snicker. I love it. Shout out Evan Kalidas for that one. Kalidas. Um, Kalidas. Kalidas. Uh, yeah, so Snicker stands for simple non-interactive coin join with keys for encryption reused. Uh, I am not an expert of how this works yet, but the way I understand it is you create a pre-signed Bitcoin transaction and you basically try to create a coin join with somebody who has reused uh, an address. And you basically create a, a transaction with two outputs that sort of obscure uh, your your path on the blockchain, and then the person uh, who you're trying to who you're proposing this coin join to with the reused address, they can accept that um, yeah, so and sign the transaction. It's a two-person coin join. Yes. And the reason the reuse you have to it has to be a reused address is because that's the only time you see the pub the public key. Uh, because addresses are public key hashes. They're not actual public keys until when you spend, the public key becomes revealed on the blockchain. So you can scan the blockchain, find a public key that's been revealed, and then build a coin join with that. This is my understanding. Build a transaction with that pub key, and then you broad then you broadcast that through like a side channel, whether that's like an app or something else. And then the other person is hopefully listening for this broadcast picks it up finishes the transaction and then broadcasts it from their end actually onto the bitcoin Chain. network yeah onto the network yeah that sounds right right yeah I, I believe that's how it works again we're not uh not experts on how this works but. so so the issue there is if you care about privacy you shouldn't be reusing addresses and then the second issue is you need like the recipient needs to be actively listening to to be to know that like oh this person wants to coin join with me but i guess if taproot gets 
Yeah, this will be you, you won't have to use reusable ad you won't have to use reused addresses if Taproot is implemented. Because Taproot exposes the pub key by default. Yes. So if Taproot gets soft forked in, then it won't be relying on reused addresses. Yes. So it seems it's definitely a little janky right now and probably not straightforward to your average user, but it seems like it is a process that could be have a UI built on top of it and while yes, most privacy conscious people are probably not going to reuse address, there probably are people who have accidentally reused addresses and maybe uh, they'll use it as an opportunity to do a, a quick coin join or something or an easier coin join. Um, yeah, I mean, it should be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I with the tap with, combined with Taproot, it makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, but regardless, it's always good to see people thinking about this stuff. Yeah creative new ways to to improve privacy on bitcoin yeah so check out snicker again simple non-interactive coin join with keys for encryption reuse that's a little bit of a mouthful there they have hong kong on the chromecast right now sending a message hong kong let's talk about that uh i don't know if we even have this on the list but carrie lam we don't have it on the list uh she what is she the president the prime minister of hong kong um ceo ceo (laughs) she apparently pulled quote unquote pulled the extradition bolt uh, bill from the floor, which is what uh, the protesters have been hitting the streets for. If you freaks are not abreast of the situation, there was an, a bill on the floor of the Hong Kong uh, Parliament or House of Representatives, whatever their governmental structure is over there. And the bill basically would have allowed uh, mainland China to extradite Hong Kongers uh, at will, um, which is sort of a no-no when Hong Kong is supposed to have semi-autonomy from China and that that autonomy is definitely being eroded away right now. Hence why uh, the protesters hit the streets. And yes, Carrie Lam did, quote-unquote, pull the bill from the floor, but it seems like it's just a hand-wavy action. She didn't actually pull it. She proposed to pull it, right? I, I read... I believe I read that it was officially pulled. But either way, it's all it could be bullshit. They could just pull back at any time they want to. Um, the people on the ground there seem to be saying it's all bullshit. The protesters aren't taking it. You know, they're going to just use it as a way to just crack down further with, with less yes. outside attention. And I don't think we touched on this last week because I think it happened after. But the uh, Hong Kong police started fucking spraying. Uh, protesters with blue dye to sort of mark them. So and then they upped it even more. Did you see that? The protesters figured out how to remove the blue dye because it was also visible to them. They could see it. They were spraying it on them with water cannons, so right? They did fluorescent. They, they were doing UV fluorescent from helicopters and dusting them. So they were just dropping this UV dust that you couldn't see in the air, really. And then it was layering all over their clothing and everything. And if you hit them with a UV light, you could clearly see that they were in the protest. I'm sure that's good for their lungs, too. It's probably horrible for the lungs. <laughs> yeah. By the way, her title is chief executive. So I guess CEO is, is right. You're close, closer than I was. There you go. Um, yeah, but it's like it's very much highlights the lengths through which some states, at least China. Let's just not mince words here. There's no... No, uh, denying that China has some influence behind what's going on in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, fucking marking people with fluorescent dye, uh, fluorescent dust is pretty, pretty hardcore, pretty Orwellian. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty common tactic in, in authoritarian places. I mean, you, I, you probably had it in your school. Do you remember if you like pulled the fire alarm, you got inked? Yep. 
Yeah, there you go. So, like, the first step, if you want to persecute people who protest against you, is to ID all the people who are in the protest, right? Yeah, and... It's fucked up. It's very fucked up. And the lengths through which the protesters went to avoid getting ID, too, we, in the beginning of the summer when, and throughout the summer when they were using cash to get on the subways instead of their cards and um, uh, the lasers that they were pointing at the cameras and, and all the, the maneuvers that they've sort of pulled throughout the summer to, to uh, hide their identities. And this was the last ditch effort. I guess it was like, fuck it, we're just going to obscenely mark you. And then we have that uh, that app that's been making the rounds, BridgeFi. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so BridgeFi, this was brought to our attention by uh, Blair6909, or I think it's B- BCJ6909. There's a J Twitter. in there or something. Yeah. Um, Matt's going to pull up his, his handle. But he pointed out to us that uh, as these protests have been going on in Hong Kong, the Chinese government has uh, also, beyond uh, marking people with dye and ink, they have also shut off the internet and communication channels for these protesters. I believe Telegram had a mass outage at one point. The internet was shut down, so basically communication between the protesters was being prohibited, um, uh, inhibited, excuse me, by the, the um, Chinese or in Hong Kong government. And they downloaded this app, BridgeFi, which is a, a mesh networking app uh, that can download and other other apps can actually implement into their services as well. And it allowed uh, the protesters to communicate via Bluetooth-enabled mesh network. And It reminds me of FireChat, which was a similar concept. I think it still exists. Yeah. and But basically, BridgeFi saw, I believe they, <coughs> they saw 40,000 downloads in one week. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, first of all... Excuse me. The freak who who pointed it out to us one week. was at Bel Air sixty nine oh nine, so check him out. Thank you for letting us know about that. Uh, the first thing I would say is Forbes has like super questionable uh, ethics at this point, as far as I'm concerned. And it kind of did read a little bit like a, a press pla- like a PR placement article. So take it with a grain of salt. You know, no one had heard about Bridgeside before now. They have like 900 followers on Twitter or something. Um, But regardless, whether the Hong Kong protesters are using it or not, which BridgeFi is claiming they are using it, it's a perfect example of why user-friendly mesh nets are so important, right? Whether that's, you know, we have Hurricane Dorian has been in the news in America for the the last week or so, uh, or whether it's the Hong Kong protests, like central centralized communication infrastructure is a single point of failure and mesh allows us to route around that. Yes. And <coughs> excuse me, I got the something in my lungs here and my throat, excuse me. Um, and let's pretend or let's just say that it is a hundred percent true and they have experienced these downloads. If it is true, it sort of highlights the fact that people will not adopt these technologies until they absolutely need to and we got to a case for the protesters allegedly where they had no access to their primary communication tools and had to uh, basically find solace in this or find reprieve in this this mesh network Um, and that should be a beacon of hope for anybody building bitcoin or similar similar mesh networks or things like that yes you may not be getting 
uh, as much adoption, quote unquote, as you want right now. But if you build it, they will come. Uh, unfortunately, because it seems like they're they're being forced to to adopt these technologies. Yeah, I mean, I think people you need to hit like a critical mass to push people over to like change their lives, to change how they do things. Uh, but I, one of the the worries, particularly with Bitcoin, is that for so many people, when they need Bitcoin, they won't have it because they didn't prepare ahead of time. And, you know, with a lot of these technologies, especially stuff that involves privacy, that involves sovereignty, it does take some prep ahead of time. So even though a big event might red pill them to the significance of it, you know, like, for instance, if we have the next recession and instead of bailouts around the world, most places choose to go bail-ins and depositors get 60% of their life savings slashed overnight, they will understand the value of Bitcoin. But it will be too late for them to save that 60% that they got slashed, right? Well, it's a good segue into the next topic is the capital controls in Argentina that were uh, implemented this week. And so what was it, $10,000? is a limit that they can move a month or something per like that? month. Yeah. yeah. $10,000 allowed to acquire or wire. So not just move, they can't buy more than 10,000 us dollars a month. Yeah. So, uh, that's fucked. We've been talking about the Argentine peso has experienced uh, yet another bout of rapid devaluation. And, uh, it seems that, and that's actually a, a lot of Argentine Argentine, uh, Listeners to this show reached out in our DMs and said that most people are turning to the dollar as their store value in, in their savings accounts. So this seems like a pretty big deal uh, for for a a society that's pr- pretty much used to to shuffling their poor currency into U.S. dollars. Yeah, I mean they've had in previous administrations they've had similar rules, even more strict sometimes. Uh, so this is nothing new for Argentinians. But it's, you know, another example of why it's important to have censorship-resistant global money because it is much easier for them to stop the flow of dollars, especially digital dollars, than it is for them to stop the flow of Bitcoin. Even though they can do a bunch of things to stop the flow of Bitcoin, um, it's it's, it's much easier to get large amounts of Bitcoin into the country. So, so... On a, on a long time scale, it should be a lot harder to ban something like Bitcoin, ban your populace from using something like Bitcoin than it is you're for using something like dollars. You're just laying up the segues for me. This is a good segue into BitBoy, uh, what our boy Justin Moon put and out. And now we get to be bullish and excited. Yeah. No, so if you guys didn't see the bent yesterday, uh, I wrote about it. Justin Moon uh, launched a tweet thread, a website, and a GitHub page uh, basically about uh, this BitBoy that he created, so he used uh, the M5 stack. And M5 stack is so badass. Yeah, so it's basically modular computing tools that you can put together, and you can make Game Boys and, and other cool stuff with it. And Justin used the stack to to make a, a, a Bitcoin hardware wallet. But the cool thing about it is it's like scan only QR. Uh, it works only with pre-signed Bitcoin transactions. Is that correct? It's stateless. Yeah, so it's stateless. So first of all, it doesn't it's like doesn't keep your seed on the device. It doesn't keep the private key on the device. So if someone gets the device, they can't get anything from it. You have to you have to re-enter your seed words every time you use it. Yes. Um and 
but it just like you can make hardware wallets by yourself. I believe this would cost seventy to a hundred dollars to get all the parts to download. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Download the the binary, load it up, and basically what you do is you uh, dump your XPUB, a read-only XPUB, into an interface, and you can uh, basically interact and send Bitcoin via that right via that watch only. It communicates with the computer via QR codes, mm-hmm. so it's got the air gap, right? So we talked about the cold card earlier on in a different when the episode with Rodolfo. We talk about the cold card all the time. Let's be honest. That uses an SD card for the air gap. The other hardware wallets use a USB cable, not really an air gap. Um, and then this uses QR codes, and basically the idea is you use it with something like. Uh, Justin's Junction app that he that we talked about on the last podcast for multisig, right? So you have your full node, you have Junction for multisig, and then you can use one of these do it uh, do it yourself hardware wallets as one of your keys in that multisig setup. So you can use it in combination with a cold card or a Trezor or something. And the main advantage here is that because it's not Bitcoin specific, it doesn't have the same supply chain risk exactly yeah because because if 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 a device is meant to store bitcoin it's way more likely that a malicious entity particularly a government will will take intercept them midway and 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 try and fuck with them yeah and so the fact that you can use the m5 stack which can be used for many things outside of bitcoin it would be uh very dumb and probably cost intensive for a nefarious actor to assume that all of those uh sort of miscellaneous gadgets are being used for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's just harder for them to profile you in general. Like one of my biggest fears is something like the ledger order list. I don't know like if they save it or something, but like every person who's ordered a ledger wallet, like their names, their billing addresses, their shipping addresses, like gets leaked or something. Then you have a full list of Bitcoiners. Anyone who's like, you don't buy that wallet unless you own Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general. Uh, with the M5 stack, you don't have that heuristic, right? So, uh, it's a it's a major that's a major step forward in terms of resistance. Yeah, and it, it really drives forward this question: like, have we been approaching Bitcoin hardware uh, in, inappropriately in the first decade? So that's what I said in the bent yesterday: was this is something that the technology, Bitcoin, the protocol in particular, that we envision maybe around for centuries, potentially millennia, and maybe there's a good chance that we we are just uh, had the wrong course of thinking when approaching hardware and Bitcoin in particular. Maybe the future isn't uh, like we love all these products and these teams, but let's just be honest here. Like maybe the future isn't centralized teams like Trezor, Ledger, Cold Card, but uh, a more do-it-yourself type mentality that sort of distributes risk in a better way and gives people more autonomy and authority over their their the custody of their Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's so black and white. Like, there's not a right way or wrong way. They all have trade-offs. You know, when Bitcoin started, we were all using purpose-built, uh, general-purpose hardware. We were using computers to store it. And then we went to uh, purpose-built hardware, hardware wallets that are designed specifically to secure your Bitcoin. Um, and now now there's a move back to uh, to do it yourself with general-purpose hardware. And, and the beauty here is, is even though something like the BitBoy has its own trade-offs, you know, where there's like no secure element. That's why it's stateless. Um, it's not as like, like the, the all around of the product build is never going to be as good. 
Um, but if you combine that with something like multisig, you're combining those trade-offs uh, or you're reducing the trade-offs among the individual devices, right? Because you have to compromise multiple devices. You would have to compromise both the BitBoy and the cold card if you have like a two of three, for instance. Um, so it, it sets us up in a really nice situation where we can have both, you know? Yeah. No, and then tying this back to Argentina, if, and <clears throat> maybe these personalized hardware wallets, do-it-yourself wallets become more popular in places that are experiencing capital controls and their governments are more likely to, to seek out a Trezor or a Ledger and they could easily mistake a BitBoy for a Game Boy or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you can make it even more discreet. If you're building it yourself, you can do crazy things. Yeah, and there was actually another, we should probably mention this too, I don't know if you saw it. Did you see the Spectre? Uh, do-it-yourself wallet yes i did that was another cool one and that one even seems uh i don't want to say cooler but it seems cool in its own way because it seems like it can be disassembled and spread apart spread across many parts and i'm sure the bitboy can too but you can basically disassemble these this hardware and just have it look like spare parts instead yeah. of one device i mean you could even build your own treasure if you wanted to uh because it uses it's all it's fully open source Slowly but surely, Bitcoiners are getting creative. It's uh, it's cool to see. So yeah, go check out the the Bitboy. We're gonna put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, transition over to the financial world. I haven't di- taken a deep dive into this. I've only seen tweets, and I saw uh, Gabor tweet about it, so I assume it's true. So uh, Vanek, it's definitely true. Vanek and SolidX pivot to GBTC like structure um, rather than ETF for their investment product. So they bend the knee. That, first of all, that was my wording. Everyone has been running with ETF-like product. This is not an ETF. You know, this is basically exactly what GBTC is doing, um, but even less so. It's almost like what GBTC was doing before they got listed on the pink sheets because it's only institutional investors. Like, even, like, at least with GBTC, like, any old schmuck can go on TD Ameritrade. I apologize to any of you that have GBTC in your holdings. But they can go into TD Ameritrade and and just and buy buy it as it, as if it was a, a regular stock or a regular ETF. Um, with this, that's not the case. You have to be an institutional investor. So, you know, is it good that investors have more options to get Bitcoin exposure? Absolutely. Is this ETF like? No, this is not ETF like. This is not some super bullish news that everyone should be going crazy over. It's just a nice additional option. To institutional investors only. A small, but yet another road uh, on-ramp into Bitcoin. Um, or maybe it's potentially big if they're getting in front of the institutional investors that actually want to move money into the space, but that is yet to be seen. I just feel like institutional investors have a bunch of options already. And that meme has been floating around for for quite a while, too. Like they can the get institutions in are coming. To. Yeah. And go on Cash App. Hey, if you institutions are out there, yeah, with their five thousand dollar a week limit, ten thousand, ten thousand. No, it's only for some of us. Like I have ten thousand a week limit. You have a ten thousand dollar a week limit. I believe so. But I think we're like, we are VIPs and we got bumped quicker. I think people start with a lower limit. Yeah, if anybody wants to help me test out that limit, you can send uh, some some fiat to cash tag Marty Bent, and I'll I'll try to liquidate it into Bitcoin. Just dropped his cash tag <laughs> on air. Um. Yeah, so that's out there. That exists. Uh, I know the Vanek team's been fighting hard for this ETF. 
They're not fully there yet, but it seems like they're making a little progress, at least getting something to the market. But for real, they could use something like the CME Futures if they want to get uh, exposure. Um, Ledger X. Yeah, there's all these funds that exist just for institutional investors that we don't see. Uh, but it is it is a, a little bit demoralizing almost. Is that is that Vanek and Solid Vanek and Solid Solid X? They kind of it seems like they kind of realize like an ETF is still very far off. Um, yeah, I mean, we, look, we don't need an ETF. ETF would just be good for the average American. Bitcoin doesn't need an ETF. Well, like, in, let's play, like, cypherpunk devil's advocate here, too. Like, an ETF would potentially consolidate a lot of supply. So maybe the the longer it's held off, the, the less supply it can mass, which is better for... It's not, it doesn't really play into Bitcoin's decentralization, maybe more its distribution, but... Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think consolidated supply is an attack vector for Bitcoin. I think if consolidated supply was an attack vector for Bitcoin, we'd be fucked, right? I mean, this is one of the reasons I don't like proof of stake. It's one of the reasons I think proof of work is far superior. Um, but, like, as we saw with Segwit2x, like, it doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you own. Uh, you know, Bitcoin gonna, is going to be resistant to change no matter what. Fact. Um Turning to data leaks here, Facebook with yet another data leak, 419 million records uh, were leaked in, in different countries, I believe, right? Yeah, phone numbers mostly, but a Facebook ID plus phone number. So with the Facebook ID, you can find out name and stuff, and then the phone number, obviously. I wonder if this had something to do with the increase in SIM swaps lately. Definitely could have been. Uh you know, the, we had Jack. Jack just got SIM swap. Jack Dorsey. So maybe he had a Facebook account. The crazy thing here is that uh, they had it on a server exposed. It wasn't even hacked. It just wasn't encrypted. Just sitting on a server. Like you fucking kidding me, man? Yeah. So 133 million uh, U.S.-based Facebook users. <laughs> Isn't were that affected. like all the adults? Isn't it, how many adults are in America? Isn't it like 150 million or something? Yeah. That's. <laughs> Pretty much every adult in America, uh, 18 million in the UK, and another 50 million in Vietnam. So Facebook putting the team on their back, just putting everybody's data out there for, for the hackers. You know? They announced a dating app today. I don't even know why they need a dating app. If they're just going to release all of our phone numbers in plain text, we could just do it ourselves. They have a dating app? Yeah, they, they announced it today, Facebook dating. It makes sense because they're the main login for Tinder and everything, so they might as well cut out the cut out the middleman the middle slut yeah yeah um let's talk about jack dorsey getting because we use twitter all the time i'm also a twitter shareholder uh so it was a little bit disappointing uh their constant security lapses i mean they've been getting warned about this for half a decade yeah. at least and yeah especially from the bitcoin community we've been pretty vocal about it uh so, so his phone got SIM swap. SIM swapping is when someone calls up your phone company or walks into a store and says, like, I'm activating a new phone. Can you activate the new phone? And so your number goes to that new phone instead of your existing phone. And the way you know you've been SIM swapped is all of a sudden your phone has no reception and you start freaking the fuck out. That's usually how you find out. You know, my I'm not going to say my service provider, but my service provider has been very questionable lately in terms of uh, cell reception. And there's been so many times where I lose reception now and my immediate reaction is that I'm getting swapped. And then I, I just I'm just in a dead spot. I'm like in a dead zone. 
But anyway, they SIM swapped him. Usually what they do at that point is they do a password recovery with the phone number. In this case, he had that locked down, so they couldn't do that. Uh, Twitter makes it very hard to lock that down, which is strike one. That's really fucked up, but he did have it locked down. The second, the, the actual way they got into his account was they were using the tweets by SMS feature, which is, you know, Twitter was originally an SMS-based service where you would send tweets in by SMS, and it's enabled by default for all Americans. So if you have a phone number on Twitter, which they require you to have in order to have two-factor, even if you disable phone-based two-factor, if you want to have app-based two-factor, you know, the time-based one that uses an app, you need to have the phone number still on your account. And if you have the phone number still on your account and you're an American or most other countries, there's like a couple countries that depends on your carrier, but like pretty much every country, it's just on by default. And if someone gets your phone number, they can send whatever tweets, retweet, whatever they want all through the text-based function. seems like a pretty drastic attack factor. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And uh, there's only one way to disable it if you want to have two-factor. You have to create a new Twitter account and link your phone number on both. Whichever the one was the most recent one is the only one you could tweet by SMS. Because I realized because Final Message uses the same account. Like, I'm protected on my personal account just because the Final Message account is vulnerable as someone sim swaps me. <laughs> That's why we have you here, our OPSEC genius. It's So do you think Twitter resolves this is think this so is the impetus up. like hey, our trader of the app the ceo uh got wrecked got owned uh we'll look into changing this some people are bringing it up they don't want to change it because of the data that you can share um what do you mean let me say like having the phone number data is like good for metadata for advertising and yeah stuff like that it's great for advertising it's great to police free speech on their platform because they it's like basically soft KYC. Um, and but it's it's horrible for users and it's horrible for user security. So like what they should do is they should allow you to not have a phone number linked and to use two factor, you know, app based two factor without having a phone number linked. And if you want to link a phone number, then then absolutely. But I, I don't see them removing that. Hopefully, they at least give you an option to disable um, SMS two-factor. <laughs> no, but they give you the option to disable SMS two-factor. But the SMS tweets. Yeah, the SMS me. tweets. Hopefully, they give you the option to disable it. I'm looking at the phone number right now. Um, if you're an American, all you have to do is text 40404. And if you text that number, anything you text that number will tweet out from your account. So if you want to do a shout out to us or something like that, you want to test it, you can do that. But I don't trust me. If you if you want to verify it, just text that number if you're American. There's different numbers depending on where you're located in the world. You have to look it up online. Yeah. The uh, yeah the people that own Jack were sending out some pretty bad tweets. That's something you want to have out there yeah we won't repeat them on the podcast no we're not going to do that um but what we we blah, but what we will do we'll transition here into another hack google uh they disclosed an exploit that allowed malicious sites to retrieve iphone files and location data and this is pretty big news because apple is pretty 
uh, pretty big at pumping their their privacy and security uh, throughout their platform. And it seems like uh, with this disclosure in particular that they're not as secure and private as, as we would have been led to believe. We have been led to believe, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty bad exploit, it seems like. Uh, I think it's it's been fixed with the most recent update because Google did a responsible disclosure and let them know ahead of time. This is part of Google's Project Zero um, initiative where they're trying to find zero days, like these really bad attack vectors that no one knows about. Then they disclose them to the parties and they, they give them like a time limit. I forget what the time limit is. It's like 60 days or 90 days, and they're like, we don't care if you fix it or not. We're going to release it in that period of time. What's and it's almost always everyone fixes it before they release it because they don't want it to get released. Well, it's actually funny. Right before we hit record, I read a story on ZDNet. Um, apparently, Android uh, has a zero day as well that was just released yesterday. And uh, they did not patch it in time for the disclosure as well. So the team that found the zero day disclosed that apparently... Android devices are susceptible to this zero day that can gain access to your root, but I think they need physical access to your device, so oh. it's not as it's not as big as is this this Apple one. So that, what, did Google Project Zero find that and they gave it to the Android team and they didn't even give them a break? Uh, I don't know if uh, it was I don't know if it was Project be actually, Zero. That'd be a stand up move. Um, so in this case, it was all you had to do was was visit a hack site. And the exploit server would just automatically attack your device and they could do it remotely. Um, and they could pull any local data. So like encrypted messages, stuff like that, anything that was kept locally uh, and real-time location data. So that's pretty fucking scary. Thousands thousands of people, they're not sure how many people it affected, but thousands <laughs> of people visited the sites every day. The malicious sites. Do they have a list of sites? No, they didn't release the sites, which is what everyone's asking for. Interesting uh, enough. So make sure you upgrade your devices if you're using Apple devices, specifically iPhones. Uh, they have patched that apparently. Um, so update your iOS software. Speaking of updating software, uh, make sure you update your Lightning software as well because this is actually something we probably should have talked about in the beginning, but apparently there's a critical bug on the Lightning network across implementations uh, and uh Lightning developers are asking people to upgrade. We have upgraded our node here at TFTC to version 0.7.0, I believe, is the latest version. 0.1. Or 0.1. But it doesn't matter. 0.7 LND is fine. Yes. Everything below it isn't. Basically, all of the implementations, if you're on the most recent one, you're good. So make sure you get on the most recent one. Yes, and they're going to disclose whatever this zero-day bug was in a few weeks, it seems like. So they're going to give you time to upgrade before Yeah, we don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, we've been asking people uh, what they think it is, and it's pr been pretty hush-hush out there. Yeah, everyone's got tight lips. Yeah. Which well, is good to see. Responsible disclosure was on the mailing list, and... Uh, is Lightning fail? Has it failed? No, no funds have been stolen yet, so we have that going for us. Let's knock on wood here. Funds are safu. Um But yeah, this is something... It, again, this is a very uh, instance highlights the fact that Lightning is still experimental software. You are being reckless. We are being reckless experimenting with it. Um, but again, it is still beta. And yeah, so there's a bug out there. If you are not on the latest version, make sure you upgrade as soon as you can. Yeah, and like, don't keep too much money on on 
on the Lightning Network. You know, it's it's for smaller transactions. Like, not everyone needs to be a routing node. And uh, they're hot wallets, right? They're connected to the internet by design. So, you, and the fact that it's still very early in Lightning. So you want to you want to be careful about it and 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 not put, not not put too much money on. Reduce your reduce your attack vector there. Yeah, be aware. Be aware. And uh, then the other thing, relightening is I we did a, I did the second installment of our TFTC guide series on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, that that one's Lightning Network for beginners. We did it with Breeze Wallet, uh, which basically allows you to get on Lightning within 15 minutes. And all you need to know, all you need is a phone, whether that's Android or iPhone, and the ability to send a Bitcoin transaction. If if you have a phone and you can send a Bitcoin transaction, you can be on Lightning in 15 minutes. It's super fucking easy. Yeah. Thank you for doing that video and educating the freaks out there. It's a great video. Less than 15 minutes. It's only like 12 minutes, 52 seconds. Yeah, basically you need a way to confirmation. That's the time. Like you, you need a Bitcoin to confirmation to go through. So that Bitcoin confirmation could happen in three minutes. It can happen in a half minutes. an hour. Yeah. So I just under 15 minutes sounded like a nice balance. Yeah. May not be under 15 minutes depending on the Bitcoin confirmation time. But yeah. it is a very seamless way to get. Uh, onboarded onto the Lightning Network. So go check that out. If you guys haven't checked out our YouTube channel, um, make sure you go check that out. Subscribe. Subscribe to all the podcast platforms if you can. Please review. If you guys are liking this, uh, reviews go a long way. Ratings go a long way. We're blowing it up. We are... Big announcement here. We got t-shirts coming for you freaks next week. Um, I'm getting the... the uh, samples hopefully tomorrow just gonna triple check make sure they fit right and look look proper and then the we're gonna quality drop. the quality needs to be good. yeah we want the quality to be good um so that will be up on our site next week we also got some upgrades coming to the site as well been working with our boy dj seeds to get some <coughs> excuse me new functionalities we're gonna have more data more stats uh, pertaining to Bitcoin for you guys. And we have new hats coming too. New hats. Uh, we're trying to blow it up. So again, if you're appreciating this, if you're liking this, uh, and you're not able to contribute uh, via tftc.io slash contribute, please smash that subscribe button. Give us some ratings. Tell your friends about us. Uh, we we love you freaks. And we've been having a very, like we said in the beginning of the year, we're going to have uh, a lot of things going on, a lot of growth. And we've had some crazy growth this year. And just want to give a shout out and a thank you to everybody listening right now. Love you, freaks. It's 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 been it's been such a joy taking this taking this journey with you all. Yeah, we've got we've got a far way to go. We've got more to more to come. A lot more content to come. I'm very excited for what we have on the horizon. Um, yeah, the video content is going to be turned up as well. So again, make sure you're subscribed to YouTube. Matt, do we have anything to riff on a, at the end? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. I have a couple of things. Whew. This was this was gonna be one that I was gonna be like I can't believe we didn't talk about it. So there you go, <laughs> freaks. You got you getting one. Um, Trezor just implemented Shamir secret sharing backups. Did you see this? I did not see this. So Shamir secret sharing is a way to split a secret in this case a seed up into multiple fragments where you need a certain threshold of those fragments to create the secret again it's you know very similar to the multi-sig threat model um but in this case 
you need that threshold to even get any kind of data about what what secret you have. You you don't have, it's 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 not like you have like a frat with multisig. Uh, you can see the construction of the transaction with this, with Shamir secrets. You need that full threshold to to see anything. There's no like brute forcing when you have to. I mean, you can't do that with multisig anyway. But anyway, the the beauty of this is is that when you set up a new treasure. Instead of getting a single 24-word seed or a single 12-word seed, you can get five, whatever threshold you want to set, you can get like five 20-word um, seeds, and then you can set whatever your threshold is. So let's say three of five. So you have five 20-word seeds, and to restore that hardware wallet, you would need three of those fragments, three of those 20s. Three of those five. Three of those five, but three of those twenty-word seeds. Combine them together. Well, then put them into tre the treasure, and then you're restored. So just add a layer of security. It's a it's a much more secure way to store a seed, right? Because if if you store your seed currently, right, like these these Bitcoin wallets have, um, the the twelve-word seed, those those backup words that they give you. Uh, if someone gets a hold of those that seed and you don't have a passphrase, then they have access to your funds. If you have a passphrase, which you should, uh, then that acts as the 13th word, the additional word at the end of the seed. In that case, they can try and brute force that passphrase. So if your passphrase isn't secure, they can get into it. In this situation, you could store these five seeds in different places and they have to actually physically get to those different locations. Uh, so it's a huge improvement in terms of uh, seed seed security, seed storage. Uh, they actually have a a full spec for it that they're calling Slip Thirty Nine. That it looks like other hardware wallets are going to implement too, which is fucking fantastic. And then the other thing here is, you know, a lot of people say multisig makes a lot more sense, like trade-off wise. And sure, but that doesn't matter because you can use this in combination with multisig. Um, Basically, like one of your multisig keys could then be split into five fragments, so you have like multisig on top of Shamir's. You, you can use them both in combination. And there's, it's not mutually exclusive. It's just another option. More options, maybe. That's what we like to see here at TFTC. Shout out to the Trezor team. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that's a really cool feature. Yeah, Shamir, Secretary. The again, we're gonna give another shout out to Hexa Wallet, that team. That's uh, they're like, using Shamir's yeah, too. That's a. Uh, driving forth of their app is Shamir Secrets uh, sharing. They split your seed up. Uh, I believe the minimum threshold they have is like five, between five different places. Right, but they don't actually give you like words to write down. No. They're like handling the whole process of passing it off and like the app holds it and stuff like that for you. Yeah, different trade-offs. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just I, this implementation is nice and simple. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, why store just one seed when you can, if you're going to store a seed anyway, you might as well store it in fragments. And it, ideally, we want this to all be standardized across wallets, at least across the big ones. So it, 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 I'm glad that they did it with, a, with an open spec, a full spec that other people can implement relatively easily. Shout out to Trezor. Is that it? Um, did you see this, this bit alarm that the guy behind, uh, do you remember Cryptoed? Crypto.com, he had like all the like little lightning tools and games yeah, in the yeah, beginning. Yeah. I think you could have like a burner phone number. He had the one where you could 
write on any place in Google Maps. Yep. Um, you could like draw on it. He just came out with something called Bit Alarm, and so his his Twitter handle is at Sitlaik C I T L A Y I K. And that site I was telling you was Cryptode.com, K-R-I-P-T-O-D-E.com. He just came out with something called BitAlarm. It's in the Play Store for Android. And basically the idea is you – it's an alarm. And when you snooze, you have to pay a sat per second that you snooze to whoever you choose. You could choose him or you can choose a different recipient, and then it, it pays them through lightning. Um Bitcoin fixing sleeping, fixing uh, people people sleeping problem, people's waking up problems. I should say. Yeah, I mean it's an app I would never use. Like, why would I want to pay to snooze? But I think it's you know it's a cool little incentive system. Yeah. Shout out to Cryptode and Sitlayak. City Layak. City Layak. Nope, not City Layak. C I T L A Y I K. Sit like. Sit Lake. Whatever. Shout out to him. I'm not going to download that app, mainly because well, I don't you have an Android. Yeah, you have iPhone. Yeah. But um, oh yeah, the other thing with the Breeze Wallet is on the guide. I didn't mention that on iPhone it's test flight, so you have to like go to their website. It's not in the App Store yet. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Keep everything in mind, freaks. Keep uh, keep on keeping on. Again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we appreciate and love you guys, and that's all we got for this week. Yet, unless you got any more. Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love. Pikachu!